Hello and welcome to the Embodied Life Coaching Podcast with me, Louise Lewis. I am a mindset and body-based life coach specializing in helping people understand and resolve the deep-seated patterns that hold them back from having a life that looks and feels extraordinary. Through a series of solo episodes and conversations with guest experts, I will explore how incorporating bodywork whether that be somatic-based exercises, biology and cellular health, or nervous system healing, is an essential addition to your personal development work. If you are familiar with therapy, coaching or counselling, and feel like there's been a missing piece of the puzzle, keep listening, because this bodywork piece may be it. I can't wait to share these life-changing materials with you. It's time to live a full life from a place where you are deeply connected to your mind, body, and soul. Get ready. So welcome to another episode of the Embodied Life Coaching Podcast. I'm really excited to welcome a guest on today's episode. We've got Amy Beth Acker with us. So Amy, I will allow to introduce in a second, but I just want to talk a little bit about how I know Amy and, and why I've invited her on. So Amy is an amazing psychotherapist who works out of New Jersey. And we did a certification together last year called Embodied Healing Systems. And whilst Amy was intellectually brilliant and amazing and just incredible to have in the group she also became a really good friend and a confidant and we speak regularly and I really respect her as a person as well as a professional so I'm absolutely delighted and honoured to have her on the podcast today and we are going to dive into a really interesting topic which is um, the good girl as a nervous system state so you know, I think we all understand that persona that we can take on of being the good girl. But what does that mean from a nervous system perspective? Um, and I can't wait to dive in. So, Amy, thank you for being here. Um, do you want to say a little bit about yourself and then maybe you can say a little bit more about this topic? Sure. Well, thank you so much, Louise. Um, yes. So I am a psychotherapist in uh, in the field for, I think around 17 years, it just becomes hard to do the math at some point. Um, and then I also work as an embodied healing systems practitioner, uh, which was the certification you just mentioned and sort of a mindset embodiment coach. Um, and that my psychotherapy work would be in New Jersey only due to licensing. My other work is anywhere and everywhere. Um, and yeah, my niche has always been um, really high functioning women that struggle with anxiety, people pleasing and perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really sort of who I've been working with more or less from the beginning, at least of my um, therapy private practice. And I, as I learned more about the nervous system, I started to really put those attributes into a larger context of what's actually going on in the body 
in my clients and in in actually many women in our society, um, which is sort of this feeling of I'm not enough and I'm also too much. And so, yeah, I wrote a post about that recently on social media, which um, turned out to be really popular. I think a lot of people could relate to it. And so, yeah, that's what I'm here to talk about today. Brilliant. And, and I think the, the audience that will be listening to this, I'm sure will relate to that a lot because that high performing, perfectionistic, people pleasing, um, high achieving persona is very much something that I can relate to personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also something very much that, that, that my clients tend to fall under. Um, so, so yeah, really excited to dig into this. So when you think about that good girl persona, um, I know you talked about it a little bit there. What what links did you start to make between the different nervous system states? And if you want to say a little bit about those, please feel free. Um, and and how those attributes then show up as a personality trait, I guess. Yeah. So. I, I, I think it really starts um, for most of us in childhood. Um, many of us have sort of family programming around how we're expected to show up in order to um, be accepted or receive validation. And for many of us, it is you need to be achieving on a high level. You need to not bother someone. Um, you need to, you need to, oops, sorry, I got distracted. Okay. You need to be achieving on a high level. You need to sort of hide your authentic self because your authentic self, um, could be burdensome to the family system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're talking about the good girl nervous system, we're talking really about First of all, what does it look like? And second of all, what does it actually feel like in the body? And so when I was starting sort of my private practice and really honing in on this niche, I was maybe a little bit more focused on what does it look like in terms of what's the end result, right? Which we kind of talked about is women who really take on a lot in life. They often look outwardly successful, but inwardly are very self-critical and self-judgmental. They're sort of in this situation of no matter what I do, it's never enough. A lot of times they're completely disconnected from their needs and they're very much focused on um, meeting everyone else's needs, um, which can very much um, fall into motherhood that can fall into marriage that can fall into their work life. Yeah. It essentially falls across every category and it just becomes really a way of being. And, um, there's really this underlying sort of belief system of in the, in the people pleasing realm. If you believe you're somehow, you believe you're somehow harming others. If you say no, yes. um, or if you say, I can't, And so oftentimes these women will really get disconnected 
from their no or from their I can't. Um, they have no idea what that even feels like in their body. And there's actively a lack of safety in, in expressing the no or the I can't. Um, they don't feel safe being honest about what they need. And oftentimes they actually have no idea what they need because they have really become so divorced from what their needs are. And they very much have a fear of saying what they do want. They don't believe that they're worthy. They don't believe that it's safe. And on a different level, they're actually trying to control what other people think about them and feel about them. Because if they can control what everyone else is thinking and feeling about them, then again, they can, they can sort of control the narrative and they can feel safe. Yeah. And do you think that this often comes about from learning very early on? Because I mean, that, that all resonates massively, like both from my experience, but also what clients bring to me. Do you think that that happens quite early on where essentially you learn that your needs maybe aren't important or your needs aren't going to be met? or that actually you need to manage mum's or and both dad's needs in order to feel safe, in order to feel okay. So like it stops being about you and having your needs met and it starts being about, well, if I can make sure that they don't feel X, Y, and Z, then they're not going to react in this way and I then get to feel okay. And it, it all sort of starts from, from that kind of experience. Absolutely, right? I think it's everything that you just mentioned, which is my needs can't get met unless everyone else, unless I'm meeting other people's needs, right? Like the the needs of my caregivers must be met first in order for my needs to get met. And unfortunately that is, that is the case in many cases. Um, You know, anyone can have a child (laughs) and they're not necessarily um, resourced themselves. They don't necessarily have any kind of tools for effective communication, for recognizing what they need themselves. Um, most people in modern society raise children in complete disconnection. It's not a village. It's not a group of people that are helping you to raise your child. You're really alone in it. And for kids, it's really just um, your needs need to be met by one or two adult caregivers who may or may not have any capacity to actually meet it. So I do think that that's absolutely where it starts. Yeah. And the other thing as well that came up as you were talking is that also that experience of learning very early on that your needs aren't going to be met. It then becomes safer and more comfortable to just not have needs. So again, we learn to abandon ourselves really, really early on. Because having these and then them not being met is so painful that the alternative of just not having any becomes the status quo. Absolutely. And I think there's this interesting dynamic that will happen where the needs that you want to be met in yourself that you most desire, but that you can't really connect with, that you're completely divorced from, you... um, are really, really skilled at meeting those for other people. Mm. And there's really this disconnect of everybody's allowed to have needs, but me, (laughs) right. That really keeps us feeling alone and isolated and can put women over into the zone of feeling really resentful and depleted because everything that they need is going outward toward other people. 
they can't receive it and they can't give it to themselves. Yeah. 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 Which is a tricky situation that I am sure sounds familiar for a lot of people. Right. Right. It's like, it's a story that I hear over and over with my clients, um, which is really some unconscious form, right? They're not really actively thinking this, but it's really some unconscious form of my needs are not valid. There's no time for my needs. There's no space for my needs. They're not going to get met anyway. And also, I don't even know what they are. Yeah. 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 And, and I remember seeing a psychotherapist myself in 2018 when I was signed off from work with stress and her saying, right, well, you've been given this permission by the doctor now to take some time out. And you can really focus on what it is that you want to do and what it is that you find fun. And I didn't have a clue what that was. I didn't have right. a clue who I was. It was like, well, no, I'm just on this like hamster wheel of like, you know, the treadmill of trying to get through each day. I'm like, my needs? I mean, my clients' needs, my husband's needs, my colleagues' needs, but my needs? No idea. Absolutely, right? And I think that's, that's where we get kind of into the nervous system state, mm. right? Because when we're very much entrenched in this nervous system patterning of survival, yeah, as you were, and as, as I was at one time in my career, um, you, there, you can't just be like, okay, I'm taking a break and now I'll just be a totally different person, <laughs> right? Like it is who you are on the nervous system level really stuck in sort of um, vacillating between these two nervous systems, system extremes of super activated, overriding anything that your nervous system is telling you about stopping, very much in fight or flight, very much in reaction, no space for response, very much in like hustle culture, grind culture, urgency. Um, and then you get home and you go into freeze or nervous system collapse because you're so depleted, you have nothing left to give. And for a lot of my clients, that's where they get into, I feel like I have nothing left to give. All I can do is just sit on the couch with Netflix and ice cream. Mm. And then I feel really guilty and ashamed about that. Yeah. Yeah. And what I will do is I will get um, I will add into the show notes which podcast episode I go through the different nervous system states. But, mm -hmm. but what Amy is talking about here is that high activation is sort of the sympathetic nervous system state. It's, it's what we might commonly think of as fight or flight. We feel a little bit stressed and anxious, anxious and it's the go, 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 go all day long. And then that the end of the day on the sofa, the freeze, is that low low dorsal, low parasympathetic state of, of disconnection. And that's where we would also experience states like overwhelm um, and depression and just feeling disconnected and a little bit checked out. Um, and I think, again, people will relate to this, you know, and, and again, from my experience, I would get myself up into that sympathetic go, go, go in the morning with caffeine, with exercise and I, I was very much the at home and would crash on the sofa and would have to take myself to bed at eight o'clock to then go through the whole process again the next day over and over and over. Right. Yeah. And it, 
it's like whether you're in that that pushing during the day of like success at any cost it doesn't matter go 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 or whether you're in that collapse at the end of the day it's they're both really marked by complete disconnection mm-hmm. from your body you mm-hmm. can't be present with what's going on in your body because it's too intense it's too overwhelming um and so you're very much checked out on both ends in one in really in both you're checked out and very much outwardly focused right in the evening it's more of like that that um dopamine seeking like let me just do anything that feels easy and good and pleasurable and then during the day it's like let me just push through anything that's hard and overwhelming and that is really a no or an i can't in my body um just to get through the day because i have to there is no choice it's survival yeah and i think the the sad truth is that what you are describing is the vast majority of people's day to day lived experience and what they don't yeah. necessarily see or recognize is that they're living life from a place of survival and from a place of being disconnected from themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I think family of origin is often a big piece of it, but I do also think it's really the culture that we're into that very much reinforces this. Yeah. Um, that very much reinforces the entire paradigm of the good girl, right? Which is really, again, about the perfectionism, the people pleasing, the anxiety, um, the you're not good enough. And if there's a problem, like don't look at the system, it's you as the individual that's a failure, right? Like that's very much a hallmark of kind of like grind culture, hustle culture, capitalism, toxic capitalism. Yeah, yeah. And, And those workplaces where there is no space for you to be your authentic self, because the expectation is for you to just go on and get on with it. So, you know, even if you had access to a healthy note, which you haven't because you've had to push it down because of the environment that you're in, there's no place for your healthy note because they don't want to hear it. Right, right. And that is very much the culture that most of my clients are steeped in. I, mm-hmm. I tend to work more with women in leadership, in corporate, in um, STEM, in academia. And categorically across all of those fields, right? Like that is the culture. It's very much sort of a dehumanizing culture of hustle, grind. Um, if, if you need rest, like that's your problem. If you can't perform, that's your problem. And so it's really like everybody's suffering, but they think that they're the only one because there's this culture of don't talk about it. You don't want to look weak. You don't want to look problematic, right? Especially I think for women, for men, it might be maybe a little bit more on the side of like, you don't want to look weak for mm-hmm. women. I think it's more on the side of, you don't want to look problematic. You don't want to make a fuss. You don't want to look like you can't do it. Yeah. Don't be difficult. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting. So I do less corporate work and less kind of that, that kind of focus now, but it would it's interesting the number of conversations I have where people are saying that exact same thing and then say oh you know like you must think that I'm completely broken and like and no one feels like this and everyone around me seems to be fine Mm -hmm. and it's like well 
are you telling everybody around you how you feel? Well, no. It's like, right. Right. Is it possible that they all feel the same? And it's just, you're right, this whole like plaster on the smile. I'm fine. I'm great. Busy. Yeah. Rather than the way we are living and doing our lives is completely unsustainable. So I am not quite finished, but most of the way through Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal. And that is so good. And I mean, that goes from like conception all the way through to looking at how, how as a society, we are creating these patterns of dysfunction in ourselves and, and in others. Um, and it's not a small problem. Right, right. They're, they're really systems within systems, which is why I really enjoy working with women in leadership mm-hmm. in corporate, because um, as they start to heal their nervous systems, as they start to change their paradigm, um, they have the power and the positioning to start to change that culture from within. Yes. Not that it's one person's job to change an entire corporate culture, but they change it from within for the people that are their direct reports, are their team, are their colleagues, um, are even their higher ups. And mm-hmm. so I think that's where we can at least start to create sustainable, meaningful change um, is by doing the work within ourselves first. Yeah. And then from there, we can start to change the culture around us. Yeah, because when we have access to our health, you know, when we have a regulated nervous system, we are willing to go into an environment and say, this is not okay. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be treated this way. The way this team is, is not healthy. You know, and Mm -hmm. I know for myself, when I carried guilt about this for a long, long time, I didn't challenge the behaviors that I could see were damaging. Like, and in the end, I paid the price of being signed off work with stress. (sighs) But, and again, you know, talking about nervous system states, I was in a nervous system state where I couldn't say that. Like my body would go into the freeze, it would shut down. It was not safe for me to challenge authority. And that does go back to my childhood. You know, and so for me, it's working through to get to that place where I can say, ah, no way. Right, and I think that, that's absolutely the case for most people, right? Which is, I always tell my clients, your nervous system is not going to do anything unless it thinks that doing that thing will keep you safe. And so if you're in a state of survival in a super toxic culture where you feel like you're the only one with a problem, it's going to be really, really challenging for your nervous system to get to a place where you feel like, and let me challenge that. Let me tell people that mm-hmm. this isn't working. Let me tell people that this is bad and toxic. It's, it's really going to basically be impossible, right? Because there's no way that that would feel safe. We have to first find safety within our bodies, right? And then we can do things that might be a little bit out of, outside our comfort zone in the world, right? But there has to be safety within ourselves first. And when you're in that survival mode, it's, that doesn't exist. So how would people start to identify? Like, I think you're talking, like people would be like, oh yes, I can relate to this. But how would people start to identify 
this patterning in their bodies, right? Because obviously it's a little bit chicken and egg because if we're disconnected, mm-hmm. we're not going to be connected to those sensations and what's going on. But but can you talk a little bit about how we start to create that awareness from a from the body around these patterns? Yeah, so I think you're totally right, right? Like it's, if you're completely disconnected from your body, it's hard to be like, all right, let me check in and see like what's going yeah. on here. Like you, you can, it's impossible. I know that was definitely the case for me. I really, it was really challenging for me in the beginning. Um, so I think looking at it from a more general perspective can sometimes be an easier sort of um, access point, right? So like maybe I can't, connect with the nuance of what's going on in my body at this moment, but what's generally going on with my body, right? So like, do I constantly feel really tired? Do I have a lot of weird, mysterious health problems that nobody can seem to figure out and there doesn't seem to be any solution to? Um, Do I wake up in a state of anxiety or panic? Do I wake up in the middle of the night in a state of anxiety or panic and my mind is always chattering and I can't go back to sleep? Do I feel completely exhausted and depleted at the end of the day? Do I feel like I have nothing left to give? Do I generally feel resentful about my life? Do I feel resentful about spending time with the people that I love? And then I also feel guilty about feeling resentful. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I throw in digestion in there as well, which I know comes into like yes. health things. But I think like, digestion is a big one. Like, yep stuff. Right. And from a, like digestion is such a big one too, right? Because like metaphorically it's about being unable to digest Mm. what's, what's in our lives, right? It's too much. It's overwhelming. Right. And so I think all of these things are sort of like little red flags of, um, probably not in like super regulated nervous system state a lot of the time and maybe there's something deeper going on here to start to look into yeah yeah and do you want to say anything about how you you work with this right because you know what we are talking about here is is the nervous system state is the impact in the body as well as as what's going on kind of within the mind which is very different to just rationally understanding, oh, I've got these patterns and, you know, I'm a perfectionist or I'm a people pleaser or I find it hard to say no. Like it's, it's a much deeper process than, you know, I'm going to have this, this tool or these practices, mindset tools to, to change how I respond. Like this is like, well, no, I'm going to work with the patterns so that, I just naturally respond differently. Like, can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's kind of this tricky thing with, with the nervous system work, because in the beginning, most people's capacity to actually do the work is quite limited. And so that piece in itself, you have to do in a really safe, sustainable way, or sort of the opposite of the point of doing the work. If you're kind of like pushing yourself through it and like, no, let me just like dig in there. Um, so in the beginning, a lot of times it is, it is actually more mindset work. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're, we're more like checking in with the body a little bit and going there, you know, it's, 
it's, as you know, right, like as a practitioner, it's really always about being super, super attuned to where your client is, right, and helping them to stay within their window of tolerance and being really mindful of where their window of tolerance is. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, which is such a good point, because I think sometimes people come and they've got all of this stuff that they want to look at, Mm -hmm. and they're so worried that in, like, session one, it's going to be like, right, tell me about all your things, and we're going to go there right now, and this is what we're going to do. And that is not the process at all to deal with this work in a safe and effective way. So I love the fact that you've raised that. It's like, what does this person in front of me have capacity for? Right. And in the beginning, they're probably very much in their mind. Mm. And so mindset work might be more where they feel comfortable and it can be super valuable, right? Because it gives you a context and it helps you to think differently and it can be a really good immediate tool. Um, I think the problem is just if you just use the mindset work, you're not you're not really going to get to the root. And so it really is this delicate balance of like, we're doing the mindset work and that feels really good. Right. And also we want to give the client sort of that like embodied win of like, yes, this Mm -hmm. makes sense. And now I have a context and I have a language for what's going on and I understand the patterning and that feels really good. Um, So to sort of give them like, give them that win and give them sort of like that feeling of forward momentum and making progress and having understanding and starting to have like some mastery over what's going on. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, as they start to feel more safe and comfortable, we slowly go into, can we just check in on what's going on in the body right now? Like, how does it feel when you say, um, for example, um, I, in my, um, in my women's group last week, I, that's something that we were talking about. We were talking about what does I can't actually feel like in your body? What Mm. does no actually feel like in your body? Right. And just exploring like the subtle nuances of the sensations that come up with that, but then also having a broader discussion about it. Yeah. And I was going to say, even if it's available to say, because sometimes people can't, it's not even available to say, Mm-hmm. no I can't even within that safety of a group context to begin with absolutely yeah yeah and the other thing I wanted to say was you know for me personally I spent two and a half three years for myself personally doing only mindset work mm-hmm. and then I got to a point where I was like no there's something else needed now and it and it was so valuable and if you'd if you tried to get me to do the work that I do now, then I would have have gone a mile and it would have been completely impossible. Right. Right. And so that's, I mean, that's sort of like rule number one in therapy is you have to be where your client is. And obviously that's rule number one in coaching too, (laughs) Um, is we can't go there with an agenda about where our clients need to go. Their nervous systems tell us where they need to go. And we're always looking at it from, I'm always looking at it. And I know you are too, always looking at it from the perspective of our clients are the experts on themselves. Yeah. They know what's best for them. I'm, I'm not someone that's going to come in with an agenda about what needs to be happening when it's really all about us going at the pace of the nervous system and not, and sort of removing ourselves from that culture of 
hustle and urgency and we need results and we need success and, and all of that. And really going with like, we're actually going to go with the pace that your body wants to go at. Yeah, which also sometimes does require some educating of the client who maybe does want to go faster. Yes, yes. So sometimes it's the other way around. They want to go faster. They want the quick results. And it's like, well, no, we need to slow down. We need to do this gently. Like if we're dealing with trauma, then the last thing we want to do is do too much and re-traumatize you. Absolutely. And I think there can really be a lot of shame too, even around that piece. Yeah, of- we should be doing it quicker. Right. Like I should have gotten this by now. I hear that all the time from clients. Right. And the metaphor I always use is um, this work is like a spiral staircase. You're going to keep coming back to the same place, but it's always a higher place too. Right. And so we, again, very much live in a culture that's, that wants like a beginning, a middle and an end. We want to get to the finish line. We want to tie it up with a bow. And when we're talking about, um, like the journey of becoming ourselves, the journey of dismantling all of this programming. It's, it's a life, it's really a lifelong journey. That doesn't mean that you're going to be sitting in therapy for the rest of your life or sitting in coaching for the rest of your life. Um, But that also sort of takes away the pressure to get somewhere other than exactly where you are right now. Yeah. And there's always another layer and it's interesting. So for you, you have a spiral staircase that goes up and the first coach that I ever worked with talked about the spiral, but going down. So I didn't like this. So there's a deeper mm. move each way. Uh-huh. But either way, yes, basically, basically you're spending your <laughs> life going around in circles. Yes. That's like a corkscrew more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I know that you've got, there were specific things that you wanted to talk about within the context of this today. Mm. How are we getting on there? Like what, what, what else do we need to explore? Um, let's see. Okay. So I, I think a big piece of it too is there, the, the embodied feeling of shame, um, that is really a driver for so much of this, right. And shame, I feel like is really sort of the embodied experience, the sensations that go along with kind of the thought or the paradigm of, there's something wrong with you and there's nothing that you can do about it. Yeah. And we live in a, again, very shaming culture, um, very shame promoting culture and very much a culture where people are indoctrinated into the belief that they need to earn their worth that worth is something that's earned, that it's not something that's just inherent for the fact of your existence um, and your humanity. And um, so for many women, right, it's like the driver is really an impossible standard of success. I've noticed a lot of patterning with many of my clients where they, they're telling a story about something and it's like whatever story they're telling about whatever they're talking about, the end result is always they weren't enough. Mm -hmm. They didn't do it right. They failed in some way. They didn't get it. Um, Or sometimes the end result of the story is they were too much. But either way, again, it's a sort of state of 
um, it's sort of like this rigid state again, right? It's like we're in fight or flight or we're in freeze. We're too much or we're not enough. There is no middle path. Yeah. There is no yeah. middle space. Um, and so the nervous system work is a lot about being able to be with the nuances, mm-hmm. being able to be in that middle space of life. Yeah, it's not all black, it's not all white. There's a lot of gray in there. Right, right, yeah. right. And um, survival mode, right, is, I'm sorry if you hear my dog. Survival mode, right, is a, is a rigid state, right? We don't have time for nuance. We don't have time to think about the middle path. We don't have time to be in the middle path. Things are either safe or they're not safe. You're either good or you're bad. Yeah. You either passed or you failed. And there is no in between. Yeah. And so often, like you were saying before, whatever the scenario, it comes back to if only I'd done something differently, if I'd done a bit more, if, or if I'd been a bit less, or, mm-hmm. or if I, if I, if I, a lot of, a lot of self-blame. Yes. It perpetuates that shame of like, I'm bad, I'm wrong. Right, right. And that's the inner critic, right? Which is, it's like this voice that's coming from inside us, this inner critic that's always like, you didn't do that right. That's not enough. And again, we're living with it. So we don't even really recognize it as, oh, this is a voice in my head. It's, we just recognize it as like, this is the truth. Yeah. I, I just suck. <laughs> yeah. Again, I remember saying, oh, not so much these days, but I used to live my life. I'm very organized. Like part of my control is like this organized, regimented organization. And I mm-hmm. like the do list. And I remember saying really early on with my first coach about using the to like, if I didn't have a to-do list, or I couldn't take things off the to-do list. How could I justify my existence? Mm-hmm. And I said it as this complete throwaway comment, like it was just completely normal. That's like, you know, we do stuff. That's how we, that's how we earn our worth to be here. Yes. And she looked horrified and she was like, you're really quite harsh to yourself, aren't you? And I was like, I think so. And <laughs> I needed to achieve something to justify my existence. That was the language that I used. Right. Which again, is very much in line with kind of that toxic capitalism grind culture of it's all about production. And in capitalism, you always need to be producing more using less resources. That's sort of the paradigm. Right. And so we really internalize that and we really make it like, what did I produce today? What did I achieve today? Is my to-do list checked off or is it not? Because if it's not, well, that's something on me. I'm a, I'm a failure. Yeah, and the challenge is, particularly with mums, parents, people in busy jobs, the to-do list is never checked off. The to-do list is never complete. And so they never get to, they never get that satisfaction. They never get to rest because they think they also have to earn rest, which then perpetuates this constant go, 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 which is, not the only reason, but a reason that then contributes to the crazy burnout numbers that we see. Right. And, you know, from a nervous system perspective, it's like they don't think they can, but also it doesn't feel safe to rest, to slow down, to say, oh, I've actually completed something. I can just sit in the satisfaction of that. There is no ending. And yet we always kind of believe 
oh, if I can just do this thing, then I'll feel good. If I can just achieve that, then I'll feel good. Right. And so that's where we get on this hamster wheel of we're going and going and going. We're always going for the next thing. And it's really hard to recognize that there's always been a next thing and there always will be. It's like the goalpost keeps moving. Yeah. And if we don't address it, the goalposts will keep moving until the day that we die. Right. And we will pass still waiting, trying to achieve that last goalpost. Right. So the work that I do with women really asks the question of like, how can we, um, how can we pursue excellence without it being at our own expense? Mm -hmm. Which is great. I love that. So if there was, and I appreciate that it's different because every person is different. The state of each person in terms of nervous system capacity when they come to you is different. But if someone is listening to this now and thinking, oh shit, this just describes me to a T, what now? What would you suggest as, as the next step in this situation? Like you recognize you've got all of these patterns you recognize that you're go, go, go all day. You get home, you collapse on the sofa. Like, then what? Well, I think, you know, first thing is getting support mm -hmm. in whatever way feels good for you. And that step alone can be a challenge in itself for somebody who's used to doing things without support and for mm -hmm. whom asking for support or seeking out support itself, again, doesn't feel safe necessarily. Yeah, because it's a weakness. We should be able to just do it all on our own. Right, right, right. And so I think that's kind of point number one. And honestly, I, I think that's really the most challenging piece mm. is actually just acknowledging I can't do this on my own and I'm not supposed to do this on my own and I need help, right? So just honoring that first, I can't in your body of this is too much. This is overwhelming. I don't even know if it's possible for my life to be any different or to feel any different, but I'm willing to believe that it's possible. And I'm willing to um, honor that need. I'm willing to take care of myself in this way and start looking for that support in a trauma-informed coach and a therapist Um or, you know, there's, there's really so many ways to start addressing trauma. It doesn't have to be in those modalities. Those are just obviously the two that I love. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's such a good point because you're right. When everything is bound up in being good, being perfect, being capable, meeting everybody else's needs, it can feel selfish selfish mm -hmm. to ask for help wrong to ask for help like you've in some way failed like often the shame that goes with I'm not okay you know when I was signed off from work with stress it was on the back of me having taken an extended annual leave mm -hmm. and I remember bumping into someone who I worked with who also lived near me and he asked was I still on holiday mm -hmm. like, yes yeah. And it took such a long time for me to be able to say, actually, no, I'm off work at the moment. You know, and that was a real process because I've got so much bound up in being perfect, presenting myself in a certain way, not being weak, not being subject to any criticism. 
And that was really hard. And asking for help for me only came at a point where I really, really had to, which I think I would just like to advocate for everybody to avoid getting to that point if you can. Right. We don't want to get to a point where there, there's no options left, yeah. right? Like we have nothing left to give. We're now in a mental health crisis or we're in a health crisis, right? We're in a, basically a place where our nervous systems cannot move forward in the way that we've been forcing them to for probably years and decades. Um, we would ideally like to start to shift in a place where we're not in such um, deep survival mode right? But maybe more everyday survival mode, if you will, <laughs> that we're all living in. Um, and, and to recognize, right? Like we live very much in a hyper individualistic society and that is not how humans are designed to be. We're designed to, we are designed to receive support. We're not designed to do our lives alone. Yeah. Um, and so to really sort of challenge some of the mindsets around it's bad or it's wrong or it's a failure or it's shameful to say, I can't do this. I need help. Yeah. And sometimes that first step is to be able to say that to someone where you are in a kind of confidential safe space. So you build up that capacity, which then has a knock on that you can start to do that in your day to day life. You know, someone invites you to something you don't want to go and you are then able to say, actually, no, I don't want to go. Or I can't go, or I'm not going to go. I'm choosing not to go. Can you bring a dish to this place? No, mm-hmm. I can't bring a dish. No, I bloody can't bring a dish. Yeah, and I think that's the beautiful thing about therapy and coaching, and that's why it the the way that it works can really work for um, the good girl sort mm-hmm. of paradigm, the good girl nervous system, is because you have an appointment to show up for, right? Like someone's yeah. expecting you to show up. And, um, most people with that good girl programming, they will show up if they're supposed to. Um, and that makes it easier for them to show up for themselves. Right. Because like when you're showing up for your therapist or your coach, what you're really actually doing is showing up for yourself. You're actually gifting yourself that hour. Um, and you're doing it consistently. Right. And so it's not sort of this random, like, oh yeah, like I should go to a yoga class, but actually I'm kind of busy. And then something came up. It's like, no, this is now like a non-negotiable and it takes all of the thought process out of it. It just makes it something that's um, a consistent part of your life. And that makes it much easier for the work to get done and the healing to happen. Brilliant. So before I wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share today? Um, I think that's it. I don't know. I feel like we could talk about this for probably like five more episodes, but yes, and I, <laughs> I think that's a good primer. Yeah. And I was going to say, I suspect that over time we will talk about this over, over more episodes. So um, as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you so much um, for coming today. That was a really good conversation. I know it's going to resonate with basically everybody that I've ever worked with. Um, and if people would like to, to, find more about you to to check you out to to do some work with you I mean I don't think I've got a lot of clients in the New Jersey area but as you said like you can do your coaching and you've got your embodied healing systems practitioner work that you can do anywhere globally so where can people find you if they want to look you up thank you so first of all thank you it was a pleasure 
for me too. And, you know, I love talking about this stuff. Um, so if people want to find me, I have two websites. Amy Beth Acker is my therapy website, which as you said, is only for New Jersey residents. I don't know how much of your audience is in New Jersey, but anyway, they can check out my website because I've got a lot of articles and writing on there too. And then my other website is of who we are.com, um, which is my coaching and body healing systems practitioner website. Um, you can sign up for my email list there. You can find me on social media. I post pretty regularly on LinkedIn. My name, Amy Beth Acker. I'm on Instagram um, of who we are. And I'm on Facebook. God, I don't even know what my Facebook name is. <laughs> I think it's like of who we are with Amy Beth Acker or something like that. Yeah. Um, we'll put it all in the show notes anyway. Yeah. So I'm also a writer. I love to write. So I'm always writing about this stuff, always sort of like, um, processing my, my most up-to-date thinking in my social media posts. So that's a good way to find me in my work. And I also have a book, um, The Way of the Peaceful Woman, which you can find on Amazon. Yeah. And if you just scoot to the left a little bit, people will be able to see it. If anyone is watching this on the mm-hmm. thing. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, and I will speak to you soon. Very 